Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. If you're in online fraud prevention, chances are you know exactly what it means when there's a new data breach. At least you know that the life cycle of fraud starts with data, data that's compromised, and then it then gets often repackaged and sold and then monetized. The monetization of the data from data breaches is really what we're fighting almost every day. There certainly are other ways that data becomes compromised and available, and so many different pieces of data can be monetized in different ways at different places, etc. But we know that at the end of the day, the fuel that really propels the just insane massive amounts of fraud that you're seeing every day comes from data breaches. And in Frank's, uh, well, actually, in the article on Frank on Fraud, where we talked about you know our predictions for 2024, one of the things that we noted in 2023 is that there were more data breaches in 2023 than ever before. In 2022, there were about 1,800 data breaches. That's a lot. And this figure in the article didn't say just how many individual pieces of data this, you know, that each of them obtained. But still, 1,800 data breaches is a lot. But in 2023, it was estimated that, uh, you know, they haven't been They haven't finished counting all of them yet, but it's estimated that it will be over 2,800 data breaches. So that's well over a thousand data breaches that have occurred just last year. And one of those breaches was the Comcast data breach. And Marianne mentioned it on last week's episode. And to be honest, that one had kind of slipped past me because it was the holidays and I think it came out in the middle or the middle of December and, you know, the holidays, end of the year, all of that. And I just, I wasn't watching the news as as closely as I usually do. And so I wanted to dive into that a little bit today, especially because when I had one of my merchant collaboration calls last week, the Comcast breach came up then too. Uh, There are already some large companies that are bracing for the impacts of that breach. And I know I've talked about this before, but based on what is compromised and what data is breached in each compromise, you can be pretty sure what type of fraud to expect. And so that's really what we talked about on that call. There are some companies that are doing some things in advance of that. Uh, There is no evidence of that data being out in the wild yet. It usually can take three to six months before it's out in the open market being sold and then being monetized. But once it is, it's going to hit everyone hard. And then another conversation I had with a fraudology listener from Australia last week is also kind of tied to this. And it's um, about something that happened with one of the largest retailers in Australia called The Iconic and how they're dealing with it. And it's not necessarily a data breach, but The Iconic got in the news and not in a good way. And it is connected to all of it. So I thought this would be a good place to start. And as I think you all know, if you've been listening for a while, 
I have a policy that I don't ever name specific company names unless they've been in headlines. If they've been in headlines, then I think that they're a great use case to be able to learn from. Uh, sometimes from a data breach perspective, it's good because you can know the types of data that are going to come from that specific company. Uh, and then in the iconics case, I think that we can learn from them and maybe even use them as an example when you're talking with your leadership. Uh, it does help when talking to leadership to name companies. Uh, and so, you know, that's one silver lining that we can take from their misfortune is being able to use it to educate leadership and other companies on just how impactful all of this can be. So I'm going to start talking about the date, the Comcast data breach first. I'm sure several of you already know about this, but I'm going to give some highlights uh, just to kind of catch everyone up. So Comcast is the largest internet service provider in the U.S. They also provide cable television. I think, well, they own a lot of things. They own Universal Studios. They own several news stations and other broadcasting stations, um, streaming services, etc. So they're a large conglomerate. The majority of the people who have accounts with Comcast uh, use them for their internet service as well as um, email addresses. Many people have, in the U.S. especially, have Comcast.net emails. And while this particular breach occurred in October, it was announced in mid-December. Um, the breach was the result of a vulnerability disclosed by cloud computing company Citrix. Uh, they had warned their customers about it uh, two weeks in advance of this breach occurring at Comcast. Uh, the breach resulted in usernames and hashed or encrypted passwords, which it's only a matter of time for those passwords to be exposed. If it ha they haven't been already, they will be soon. Um, some customers, that's in quotation marks in their announcement, and there's no idea what the percentage is. But so I'm sorry, I should go back a little bit because I think I forgot to mention just the sheer number of accounts and username and passwords that were exposed. That would be 35 million. That's kind of a big deal and didn't mean to bury the lead there. Um, then they went on to say that some customers in quotation marks, and they give no clue if it's 1% or 80%. What does some mean? You know, of those 35 million, but some customers had their names, contact information, so phone number, address, email, last four digits of their social security number, their dates of birth, and the secret questions and answers exposed. I hope that they have to disclose that. I'm sure that they disclose that to the FBI. I don't know if they have to disclose that publicly. Um, I also hope that they are advising the customers who have all of that information stolen specifically. Um, the challenge is that even though there's a requirement that companies alert their customers if their information has been uh, exposed to the data breach, they're not required to tell them what that means. They're not required to say, okay, because your username and passwords were breached, here's what you need to do. Here's what could happen. Here's what you need to do with our accounts. Here's what you need to do with other accounts. Because your name and address and social security number and well, last four, um, and your date of birth and your secret questions and answers, which I'm sure that there's overlap with your bank and others, that means that these type of fraud could be used, or this is how your data could be monetized. And here's what you can do to prevent it. Really wish that that was part of it. I also wish I had free time to try to petition Congress to try to make that happen. I don't know, but I don't know if that would even be the right, right route to do it. But um, even if, you know, news organizations provided that information, it would be helpful out to the public. But 
Oftentimes, the only remedy that companies provide is credit monitoring, which often has nothing to do with it. Obviously, with for those some customers, credit monitoring could be helpful, but not when your username and your password is exposed. That's not going to impact anyone opening a new line of credit in your name. It's unfortunately going to compromise your current accounts that you have opened and not even credit accounts, right? Like your online accounts. So like I mentioned, so far, fraud companies and dark web researchers haven't seen signs that data from this breach is in the wild yet, but it typically takes three to six months for them to, you know, unhash the passwords, to package them up in different ways. Uh, It's not uncommon for, you know, any of this to take a while because uh, sometimes the group that did the breach may want first crack at monetization before they sell the the data. Other times they're just packaging the data in resellable amounts or resellable groups. Uh, They may do a quick pass at them to see if they can identify any connected accounts with those username and passwords to try to get a little bit more money for them. You know, if they just say this is for a Comcast account, that's one thing. If they say this is for a Comcast account and, you know, a rideshare account and shopping, you know, X number of online shopping accounts, et cetera, they can get more money for that. So it just depends on the group that compromised it. And then they'll also sell each package multiple times for multiple uses. And I think that's often a misunderstanding. A lot of times people think, okay, well, my my information was sold once. Oh, no, no, no. They're reselling it tons of times to different types of fraudsters for different types of fraud. Uh, it's also, it's not one and done. It's not like they get your username and their password. They try it on a couple of things and then they throw it away. No, there are massive databases out there just stitching information from each data breach and creating databases on consumers, especially in the US, because we don't have all of the data privacy that those of you in other countries enjoy. At least I hope you enjoy them because I would. (laughs) So my biggest fraud concerns and you know, some of this is a review for some of you, some of it, you know, may not be. Um, But biggest fraud concerns first is, you know, account takeovers at Comcast. That's going to impact Comcast, of course, but it's actually going to impact other companies more. Because if you do compromise an account at an ISP at an internet service provider, there's not a lot that you can do. But if you compromise the email account, and that's the email that's used for so many other accounts online, whether it's banking or e-commerce, well, now you can go to each one of those sites and try the password that got you into the Comcast account. It might get you into the other accounts, or you can just say that you forgot the password and have a new password or a link to create a new password be emailed to the email that you now control. And oftentimes what happens there is once they do that, they'll change the password to the account and then package that up as a deal and, and sell it to someone else to monetize. Also concerned about, you know, account takeovers on accounts with the same username and password um, or the same email. You know, and obviously they can reset the password and game control if they have access to the email. But even if they don't have access to the email, there will be tons of scripts running for credential stuffing where they're trying to you know, match up the same username or the same email with the same password. Or maybe they'll try to alter the password just a little bit. Um, another thing that they can do is put in the email into Have I Been Pwned and see the different passwords that have been, or even if it's not in Have I Been Pwned in you know, one of their databases or others, but there's a couple different ways you can do it, but you can find different passwords 
for the same emails. So, okay, this email address, we see that there has been five passwords breached and all of the passwords have the same name of the person's dog, but a different combination of numbers. Okay, well, we're just going to put that in our bot and let it run until they figure out what their you know password is for this specific account. But oftentimes, most consumers use the same password, so it's much easier than that. And like I said, once they identify and access those accounts, they might sell those accounts or change the password on them or not and just know that the user isn't going to change their password in the next few months or they'll use it for themselves. It just really depends on where in the chain and what the skill set and focus of the group that has access to that data, what they do. Sometimes they do it themselves, other times they sell it off. Um, I do think it's worth noting and it's commendable that Comcast is requiring all accounts to reset the password when they log in next, knowing that they can be targeted for account takeovers, obviously. Um, but I have no idea if they're requiring a password to be different, then, you know, it has to be unique from the previous password. Uh, That requires a little bit more development work to require that when you're requiring a password reset. Other times, some companies will have it set to they have to have a unique password for the next three, but then they can reuse it on the fourth. Um, There was an online gaming company. This was several years ago. But they did tests on this because they were getting hit with account takeovers left and right. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, that online gaming was the first vertical within e-commerce that really experienced account takeovers. And this was probably 10 or 11 years ago. So it's a little bit of outdated information, but I think it's still relevant. I would imagine that the same or similar outcome would happen if this test was done today. So at first, the online gaming company just required anyone who logged in to their site you know, after a certain date to update their password. And they, you know, made it clear that they needed to have their password be something different than they use anywhere else. Well, what they noticed was several people just updated it to the exact same password. So then they did the extra developmental work and said, well, we're not going to let them use the same password for the next, I think, three or four passwords. So if it was three, it was, okay, if my password is password one, two, three, on the next one, I'm going to have it be something else. For the next three, it it can be something else, but then I can change it a fourth time back to password one, two, three. And they saw a very large percentage of their customers do that, probably because they wanted to be able to remember it. Or if they did change it at all, it would be password two, three, four, five, or something like that. They wouldn't change it much at all. And they really dove into that and thought, okay, well, this is not sustainable. So they tried to, you know, move to education for their customers to say, you know, this isn't just to be a pain in the ass for you. This is to actually help you protect your account, protect your money, protect, you know, help us help you kind of thing. And I don't know if they ever got to a perfect part, but I thought it was interesting to know that, you know, even when customers are asked to reset their passwords, they're not always going to change it to a different password. Sometimes it's just going to be the same one that they had, even if they have to do it a couple times and, you know, change the password a few times, they'll just go back within that same session go back and change it to what they knew so that they don't forget it the next time they want to log in. The other thing I don't know about is what if the real user of the Comcast account doesn't log in for a long time, right? If they don't log in and the bad actor is the one who logs in next, then how, you know, can the bad actor then reset their password? I don't know. It's it's hard to know. So those are things that I hope that they have thought of as they're 
you know, dealing with cleanup on their end. So I think, you know, it's good that they're doing it for them. But as I said, because they're an internet service provider, because they provide email components, there's a high risk to a lot of other types of companies. Any other type of company that has accounts that are tied to email, which could be anything from e-commerce, you know, in travel, in retail, in online gaming, it could be your mobile provider, it could be your banking, credit, loans, etc. So this is significant. It's not just like, you know, like another type of company has been breached. It really matters what type of company has been breached, what that company offers, and then what information has been compromised to. That's going to tell you what the impact is going to be across the landscape and across all different online companies within fraud prevention. So some of the things that came up on the conversation I had with several online merchants last week, as well as just some of my own advice that I would provide you guys is, you know, maybe having a little extra caution with Comcast.net emails. That doesn't mean to cancel all of them by any means. It means, you know, just maybe scoring them a little bit higher. And especially if they have a combination of events. So I'm going to provide a couple hypotheticals, but I'm not going to provide all of them because I'm aware it's a public platform. But I would say, you know, you could have some caution with Comcast emails and then those that use the forgot password uh, feature on your site. Uh, You can also have caution with Comcast.net accounts on your system uh, entirely. And especially if they, um, you know, you can require two-factor authentication when they log in, or especially if. Uh, it's a retail site or a banking site and they change any contact information, you know, the email, the address, the phone, and it has that, you know, email domain. You can require, you know, at least for e-commerce, you can require CVV on stored card purchases. So require that they enter the last three digits on the credit card if they want to use the card on file. That's something that is quickly becoming kind of standard practice. It's not something that every online platform or every development group can do, but it's something that uh, certainly can help you a lot in preventing account takeovers, especially on stored card. And then also, you know, increase your visibility into account behavior and the user journey, right? It's important to know that you're not just looking at what happens just when there's an account login or just when there's a transaction at checkout, but you're able to see the behavior of the entire session. And, you know, you know that the current sponsor of Fraudology provides that and provides so much insight into the user journey and allows you to orchestrate different types of journeys depending on risk factors. So you could easily say, okay, if it has a compact cast email and they forgot their password, we want to scrutinize their order, right? Or you can do those types of things, you know, when you're on the spec platform. This isn't meant to be a commercial within the content, but I just, you know, using it as an example, that's one way, um, that's one company that you could look to, to be able to increase that visibility, to be able to see what are they doing? Are they clicking around? Are they, you know, or are they going straight to the most expensive item on your site? Or are they, you know, entering in a lot of different variations of passwords before they get in, just all of those different things. The impact of this could last years. I mean, there are still impacts from the Hulu breach that happened in 2015. Passwords stay around forever and they get resold and repurposed and different groups with different levels of sophistication will get a hold of it. It's not going to go away quickly. 35 million accounts is a lot of accounts. 
Um, and then for those, some customers that had, you know, all their PII and the last four of their social security questions and answers, et cetera, it can be a lot worse. Um, we can expect identity theft, you know, all new account fraud, where there's accounts being opened in their names without their knowledge. We can expect account takeovers, not only at the e-commerce level, but at the banking level, at the credit card company level, which makes it so much harder to detect for e-commerce companies, but also hard for FIs as well. You know, financial institutions are struggling with, you know, trying to identify account takeovers on their end. And if somebody calls in to the customer service and says, oh, I can't access my online banking, but here's all this information. Yeah, I can give you the last four of my social. Yeah, I can give you, you know, the security answers to my qu- the questions you have on file. It probably wouldn't take more than a couple of quick searches to find their mother's maiden name. Like they can take over the account through there, even if they can't do it online. And then I'd also expect scam calls to victims. There's enough information there that, you know, you can really, especially with their contact information, that scammers can really take advantage of them too. So these are just some of the things that I think that we should all be watching out for because of this breach. You know, not all data breaches, I don't do a podcast episode on every data breach, obviously, but like I said, this one is significant, not only because of its size, but because it's for an internet service provider and an email provider. And because it wasn't just usernames and passwords across the board, it also included a group of customers who had a lot more data exposed than just that. I really wish that they disclosed how many, because it would really be helpful to know, are we talking about 10,000 or are we talking about 10 million? But I think overall, it's just good for everyone to have a heightened awareness that in the coming months, you may see impacts of this data breach and just be on the lookout for it. It's important to know what you could find So that when you see it, you know what it is sooner than having to wait a long time. Because the longer you wait, uh, whenever there's a vulnerability, the more money it's going to cost your company as well as, you know, your consumers in some cases. I know I've been promising to tell you more about SPEC and why I invited them to sponsor episodes of Fraudology. And there's actually so many things that I want to tell you and will tell you over the next several weeks. But the first thing I wanted to make sure that you hear about is their Trust Cloud. Spec's Trust Cloud protects the integrity of the digital user while simplifying the risk process. It allows you to discover insights across the entire digital user experience. It allows you to catch attacks early. With access to full visibility, you can scan visitor behavior across their entire journey to catch the risk patterns that traditional fraud check APIs miss. Visualize the flow of attacks identifying areas to catch them early, and leaving bad actors with nowhere to hide. It also allows you to start each journey with instant trust. You can boost platform integrity by instantly welcoming return customers to their personal account experience, while your trust platform invisibly screens for signs of compromise and abuse. It also allows you to remove friction for good customers and increase conversions. By using a single source of truth, you can detect evolving fraud attacks and identify conversion drop-offs and optimize your payment strategy. The bottom line is when you're able to to see every customer's behavior from the moment that they enter your website until the time of checkout or when they open up a new account, you can identify that before the fake account is made, before the transaction is even made and now you've got a fraud transaction in your platform. It's honestly game-changing and I'm really excited for more people to learn about it. So to learn more about SPEC and 
this new technology and especially their Spec Trust Cloud, go to www.specprotected.com. So speaking of the monetization of usernames and passwords and what can happen from there, we're going to move on to an incident that occurred in Australia. Um, I had truthfully had to learn about the iconic. Um, I was told, you know, shout out to the fraudologist uh, in Australia who I just happened to have a call with from, um, they work for a client of mine and uh, they shared this story and I went, you know, it's probably going to be a really good podcast episode. I wasn't sure if it was going to be this week, but uh, in combination with Comcast, it just seemed to fit together. So the um, fraudology listener explained to me that the iconic is one of the largest online sites in Australia. It's an online fashion and sports retailer. I looked it up just to kind of understand the company size. Uh, Last year, they did $587 million and uh, they have about 150 million customers, which in the US, that would actually probably make them like a medium to large retailer. But in Australia, as their e-commerce continues to grow, that's really big, especially for an Australian company. There are a lot of American and EU companies in Australia that do well, you know, bigger brands. But for that to be an Australian company in Australia, that's really good size company. And 150 million customers and accounts is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. So it's a large company. Um, Just a little over a week ago, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is kind of like the main, kind of like, the, like their public news channel, Uh, broke news over a week ago that customers of the Iconic were alleging they were victims of a data breach. The headline read, The Iconic promises refunds after a a spat of fraudulent transactions on customer accounts. I'm going to read a little bit of this article just to kind of give some of the grandeur of it. It seemed so, you know, like the biggest deal ever. And it it is a big deal. But for those of us in fraud, I think we've become immune to it. That was kind of what the fraudology listener had said as well. He said, you know, I realized very quickly what they were talking about. And I was like, oh, we see that all the time. But I think it's important to just know the gravity of how this was written. So the article says, and I wish I could do it in an Australian accent, because that would make it sound so much cooler. But I'm not even going to try. Uh, The article says online retailer The Iconic has vowed to refund customers who have been left out of pocket by thousands of dollars after their accounts were compromised and fraudulent orders were made without their permission. Furious customers have taken to social media and online forums to express their frustrations over the issue and the difficulties in contacting the fashion and lifestyle retailer and getting a timely response. The ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, first became aware of a potential issue in late November after this reporter was unable to access their account, but did not have any fraudulent orders made. Remember how I mentioned that sometimes when there's account takeover, that fraudsters will access the account, make sure that you know they have the right username and password, change the password, and then resell it to be used by another group later down the road a few months later? That's probably what was happening. Since then, the ABC has contacted over a dozen angry customers who had vented their frustrations via social media platforms. This includes some customers who had reported account breaches and fraudulent transactions made since late November and as recently as Monday this week. The iconic confirmed affected customers will be compensated after the ABC contacted the online retailer with a series of detailed questions on Tuesday afternoon. 
A statement by the company confirmed that the online retailer had recently seen an increase in fraudulent account login attempts, but did not provide a timeline. And then they go into specific customer accounts of what happened to them. I will say that this one customer who had a charge on their account, so it was on the stored payment method on their account with the Iconic, the fraudster purchased a Dyson hairstyling tool for $699. They paid for express delivery. After the money had been deducted from her bank account, this person contacted her bank to put a hold on the transaction before attempting to get in touch with the online retailer with little success. And this is something that all online companies should learn from this. Um, One of the things you should learn from it. Um, The customer said, I tried to contact the Iconic via phone call first, but there was no answer except for a pre-recorded message saying, due to the busy time of year, we've turned our phone lines off. Please message. So I went through to the live chat. Every option in the live chat was not an option that was relevant to my concern and my issue. I tried the phone number again and then sent an email and the email came back and said, thank you for sending your email. Please be notified that we'll be in touch within two to four business days. So then the customer said she was feeling really impatient. What I'd say is that is that is not good chargeback prevention. It's so important for online companies to be available at all times and to have options on live chat. You know, if you're having account issues, you don't have to say, you know, your account was hacked or, you know, you have fraud on your account. But if you're having account issues, because that's going to prevent them from calling your bank. Now, in this case, she called her bank first and then she called the retailer. But you could always the retailer could say, oh, you know what? We're going to issue you a refund. Go ahead and call your bank and let them know we took care of it. This person vowed to say that they are never going to make a purchase there again. And they're very unhappy. Not an isolated incident. There were several more. One customer did get an email back. And I mean, the, the email probably came from the fraud department. I would say, you know, it could probably use a little bit of, um, flowering language or a little more customer service or probably a little more information than I would provide in a template for customers. But in this email to a customer, they did say that uh, they had become aware of patterns of unauthorized access by a third party on this person's iconic account. While having access to your account, the unauthorized third party user was able to transact using the saved payment method token stored on your account. At no point were the full card numbers credit card details, visible or able to be copied, the email said. The email also states that the Iconics investigation into the issue showed that there were no security issues, nor did the unauthorized access result from any breach or security weaknesses on the part of the Iconic. So, you know, it's very important to the company to say there was no breach, but to consumers, they don't always know the difference between a data breach and the fact that their account was compromised or you know, really, it's become so common to say your account was hacked. Well, hacking is usually tied to breaches. So there you go. And then the email from customer service went on to say, unauthorized access to your customer account at the Iconic may have occurred where the customer login credentials, your username and password combination, you had used to create your Iconic customer account was identical to your login credentials that you used on another website and was exposed as a result of a third-party breach on that other website. So, and that's very much the way that you explain account takeover. I just... I don't know if their communications department had looked over this email first. It's a lot of information to provide to a customer, especially when 
those customers can you know, provide it to the media. A spokesperson from the Iconic told the ABC that the retailer had not suffered a data breach, but those affected have been subjected to a type of cyber attack or fraud attack known as credential stuffing, where a customer's email and password with one site is the same as another site that has been targeted by hackers. It's unclear how many customers or accounts have been compromised or how many fraudulent orders have been made. So because of this, and I think my bigger point is that not only are account takeovers costly to e-commerce companies and, you know, credit card companies and others, but it can result in a really bad brand experience. This has happened a few times in the U.S. as well. There was popular fast casual, I guess that's what we're calling fast food companies now, but a popular app that had account takeovers a few years ago. And so many people equated that as bad security and a bad experience. And it ended up in a pretty large publication in an article. And it really wreaked havoc for the fraud team uh, because unfortunately, account takeovers and credential stuffing have become pretty common for us to have to deal with. But they're not common for customers. And so if enough customers are complaining on social media, and whether it's a slow news day or not, if some, or in this case, if one of the reporters had become a victim, well, then it's going to become a headline. And several other, you know, media sources picked this up as well. Another headline was the iconic promises to issue refunds to hacked customers. Not exactly hacked, but see, this is where, this is how rumors get started. So throughout the week, there were more accusatory headlines. There was another article that actually interviewed a cybersecurity expert, a professor at a a university in Sydney, I believe. He talked about how they should have been requiring CVV re-entry when an order was placed. So someone logs into your account or you log into your account. You want to use the credit card that's stored and on file through tokenization. So again, you know, as the article says, Most online companies these days use tokens for credit cards, so they never see the full credit card number, nor does anyone else. And But you can require that there be security on that token, depending on your processor, depending on the development of the platform you're on. But it's something that I believe I saw Amazon do first, and I think it's really smart. Some other um, websites will actually require you to enter the full 16 digits of the card uh, that's stored. But the theory is, um, the idea behind it is if someone just accesses your account, they're not going to know the last three digits on the back of your card. Now, obviously, that can sometimes be compromised as well in different ways, whether that's, you know, a phishing call to the cardholder, you know, as the fraud department saying, we just want to you know verify your card number for Um, security purposes. Oh, and what are the last three digits on the back of the card? You know, you may have been a victim of fraud. We just need to verify this. There can be other ways why the CVV can be compromised, but it's just another step of friction that is friction for fraudsters, but not that big of friction for good consumers, especially as more and more websites are doing this now. So that's, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily say it's a, is what they should, what every company does or, it's a best practice, but it, it is something that would be, you know, something that would be helpful to them. It's not the only thing that would stop these, but it certainly could slow them down. Uh, the This security guy really just went on to talk about how this type of fraud is foreseeable and easily preventable and how they should have done so much more to prevent it, which, I mean, 
I agree with, but I also, I just don't believe in victim blaming. Um, but it, you know, it makes for a sassy headline and which the headline of that article is customers of the iconic at risk of being defrauded due to lack of payment verification measures. So that I, if anyone is listening from the fraud team of the iconic, I'm sorry you had to deal with this this week. It sounds like a pain. But then again, I hope that maybe possibly that one silver lining of this is that you are going to be getting a lot more attention from other departments and more resources and that they'll understand that whatever fraud measures and whatever you know solution you're using now for account security just isn't enough. Um, I have a feeling I, I know uh, I've narrowed it down in my head to two possible solutions and both of them really don't have great account security solutions. So it would be something that, you know, hopefully this allows you to get the resources that you need to be able to provide better security to your customers. Um, so in addition to, you know, new device or updated shipping info requiring a CVV reentry or the full card number reentry, there's also a lot that can be done behind the scenes with better fraud infrastructure. You know, there's some unsupervised machine learning solutions that have some good account security uh, around the device. There's also others that look at behavior biometrics and device. I mentioned spec and how they look at the entire user journey. So they're going to see if someone is logging in from a different device than logged in to that account previously, they're also going to see if they're changing the IP address or the geolocation of the device before checking out. Um, oftentimes they'll do that if they think that the provider is, or if the fraud provider is only looking at checkout and they're only sending an API call at the time of checkout, they'll change the device ID and the IP to be similar to the original cardholder, the original account holder before that transaction happens or in banking before the withdrawal happens or before, the, you know, any action happens if it's an API related solution. So you can see that when you're looking at the entire customer journey. Oh, they're changing it right before this happens because they know that a snapshot is about to be taken, basically. But the bigger point to be made and the reason why I really wanted to share this story is to fraud professionals. And I kind of mentioned this a minute ago, but I just kind of want to highlight it again. To a lot of us, credential stuffing is fairly normal. It's been around for 10 years. Some companies face it a lot more than others. Um, but to your customers, it has a huge impact. I mean, a couple of the customers that were interviewed in these articles were talking about how violated they felt, you know, how they this really messed up their bank account. I mean, and I'm not taking away from that. Like, that's probably true. But it can also have a huge impact on your brand and in the headlines. Um, customers don't know the difference between a breach and an ATO. Both of them cause distrust and a loss of sales to your business. Both of them are going to cause your customers to think that your company and your website isn't secure. So what can you do about this or what, you know, do I suggest that you learn from this? I mean, if your company currently experiences account takeovers, either, you know, via a specific attack, like you've just seen one huge spike in ATOs or ongoing issues, and you're struggling with requests for budget and resources around account security, then consider sending the iconic article to leadership or even to marketing as a cautionary tale. Hey, we experienced this fraud too, or this is how many accounts we had compromised due to this last year or last month. I'm concerned this could turn into a headline for us. 
or next time you present your business case for additional tools and solutions, include a screenshot of this headline and then, you know, include how many ATO incidents your company had last month or last year. Let them know that your company is at risk of being next. Sometimes it's not about the dollars that are going to be lost. It's not about, okay, if we don't do this, this is how much we're going to lose. I mean, it should be, but it isn't always. Sometimes it's about the brand impact because a lot of leaders believe, and it's rightfully so. I think there's, I'm sure there's data around this, that when customers lose trust in a brand, that's more expensive than one fraud event, right? That means that you're losing so many more transactions. In fact, I think I shared this last year in a episode about case studies, but I know that not everyone listens to every episode. uh, And certainly we have a lot more new listeners over the last few months, but there was a very large marketplace who did a study on how many, uh, after there was an account takeover incident on the account, what the spend was for the customer. So basically they took the year before the account was compromised and they looked at how much money that customer spent on their account. Then they marked, you know, when the account was compromised. And then after that for a year, how much did that customer spend? Now they averaged out the $0. So there were a lot that just didn't shop again, at least for the first year. But there were some who, you know, shopped a little bit, but not as much. And on those accounts that were compromised, there was 60% less sales on those accounts than there had been the year before it was compromised. That's huge. If there's any way you can do data like that at your company, whether that's, you know, your e-commerce or your NFI, you know, whatever that metric is for you, that could be very powerful to share with your company. I know that when this company did that data and was able to share with their company how many accounts just didn't buy anything for the next year after spending so much the year before, and that all of those accounts combined resulted in 60% less in sales than the year before, they got a lot of resources for account security. They got more team members, they got data scientists, they got, you know, better infrastructure for their accounts. And, you know, sometimes that's account security is seen as a cybersecurity issue. But I think that more and more with credential stuffing and with the monetization piece, that fraud departments are taking it over. And, you know, fraud tools are trying to have solutions for them. I would say, just like with anything, not all solutions are created equal. Unfortunately, there's no regulations around what a company can and can't claim about their solution. So there are some that are claiming some pretty crazy things that I can say that their own customers would definitely uh, not agree with. But do your research Talk to people who use those solutions and, you know, try to remember that at the end of the day, we're trying to build trust. And, you know, like one of my favorite quotes says, trust is earned in drops, but it's lost in buckets. And I think a really big bucket is account takeover. With that, I'm going to leave you for this episode. Uh, But I look forward to speaking with you again next week and I'll talk to you then. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.